Okay, looks like we're live. I haven't done an interview since May, and you may notice the settings are a little bit different. My studio is completely torn down and in boxes right now. And the boxes are still in Mishawaka, and I'm in Huntsville in my son's spare room with glasses on because my allergies are so messed up that I can't see out of contacts. So these aren't prop, these are real glasses. They are about two prescriptions behind, so I can't see anything really. So here I am, I'm here, I'm gonna do an interview and I'm stoked. Obviously, if you've listened uh, to the last couple episodes of the podcast, I hinted at some things that are going on in my life. The moving is one of them, a new job is one of them. I had a new grandson born three weeks ago. Three weeks or four weeks? Anyway, a new grandson, Preston, born. I had a very good friend of mine pass away a couple weeks ago. And so it's been a lot. And so I haven't been doing too many interviews, haven't doing been doing my live stream, but we're going to catch up with that soon when we get down and settled. And until then, I, I, I have my computer on a box right now, a cardboard box, and I have a little TV table with my mixer and a mouse, and I don't have a keyboard, so I'm not going to respond to anybody. But I'm going to stay live on all the platforms instead of just doing Twitch because I haven't done an interview for so long. If anybody wants to pop in and watch, that's cool. So tonight, I've got... A uh, comedian from Michigan who just put an album out last year uh, called Burger Prince that I listened to today, and it's really funny. And uh, a guy who has used comedy and his gaming to gain quite a Twitch following. And I think that's one of the things I really want to talk about because uh, comics are always, they're always looking for ways to generate income, generate fans and all that kind of stuff. And it looks like Bob's done a really good job. So I want to bring Bob out right now. It's Bob Fredericks. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going? Good. It's nice to virtually meet you besides the, besides the discord chat room. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and watching your streams. I got to say right off the bat, I listened to your album today in between doing stuff at my new job that I had to hide and listen to it. Whereas yeah. at my old job where I was at for 16 years, I could just do it right in front of everybody because nobody cared. But right. but I listened to the album and I was I, I really liked your style of storytelling. And one of the things that is difficult about storytelling is you were in like four and five minutes, four and five minute chunks. And I'll go right to the last one, which is one that had me laughing really hard was no glitter on Christmas. And you have to have enough tags in there to keep people laughing and keep people leaning in to listen to more. So it's a lot harder than one liners. So I wanted yeah. to ask you, you've been doing this for a few years. Did you start doing the story? storytelling type stuff or did you start doing one-liners like a lot of people do yeah and uh first off uh, i want to say sorry about your loss and hope the move's going well thank but, you uh, i think really like when i started comedy like thinking back towards it i i think i it was a lot of my jokes started as one-liners mm -hmm. let's say i feel like a lot of it was taggy like kind of the stuff that i begin the album with is where it's like the the very quick, like the boogeyman joke or the, what was the other one that's on there? <laughs> I 
I forgot they were going to be talking about the album, but I should know yeah. exactly. I, I think is. I've got it up here. Yeah, it yeah, was sure. I, the werewolf joke and the boogeyman joke yeah. that it started out with. Basically, it usually a lot of times it'll start just from a quick, like a seed of a joke, like a really funny line. Yeah. And then out from there, like that no glitter on Christmas, like that last bit um, really started because we really were at a bar on Christmas <laughs> and my friends really wanted to go to a strip club. Yeah. And my friend Christina were sitting at the bar because we didn't want to go to the strip club with them and they're texting us. And we're just like, there's no glitter on Christmas. And like, <laughs> we're going back and forth, like writing tags to it. Yeah. Um, so like that whole series of events is based on me being a, a drunk mid twenty, a mid twenty year old that likes to go hang out with their friends at bars and yeah. shows and all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> um, it's kind of start from like those cores of ideas. Yeah. And it's out from there. I really liked uh, Bull Cut, too, and so I was listening to it, and obviously, if you're looking at the, the title of the track, it's Bull, B-U-L, and yeah. I was like, oh, they mislabeled it, and then it turns around, <laughs> it really is Bull Cut, and uh, yeah. that, I thought that was a really good one, and just a lot of great tags in there, and I know that takes a lot more effort than one-liners, but on the flip side, you also have more time that you fill as long as you can keep it funny. Yeah. And that all, I feel like that's what you learn. Like, I'm, I'm certainly not even a master of it yet. Like, it's just the type of thing where I'm only 10 years in, which 10, technically 10 years, uh -huh. August, my 10th year as a stand-up. And um, there's so much that goes into it, especially being from the Midwest when you're not in a big city doing it full-time. Like, I've never been a full-time comedian. Like, I've just managed to grab a lot of stage time to develop it from hosting shows and just getting on stage as much as I can. But really it's just, you learn that it's like your cadence and how you try and stay like the realest version of you. And I, I do keep it a little bit loose. Like I'm not super, I'm not super rehearsed on all of my jokes. And I do have a sort of stream of consciousness that it's just, I don't get upset with myself if I don't tell it the same way every time. So mm. it allows me to work off the crowd if something happens or just, just keep it fun and free and not robotic, like every time you tell it. Yeah, I could tell listening to that that you were working off some reactions from the crowd, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I can definitely tell that. So let's talk about what went into making the album. I always like to talk to comics about why they put an album out and uh, all the nuts and bolts of it, because it seems like every comic goes about it a little bit uh, different way. So, what? first of all, what was the impetus to do the album? Basically, it's just that I've been performing so long i had enough material and i i looked at it and i knew i could do like an hour worth of material and i can i, can, I have enough time to headline it's all tight developed material at that point and i i just wanted to put out an album because i i feel like for me i always do comedy like i accept the fact that right now it is a hobby mm -hmm. and streaming like it's something that i take very seriously and I want to do the best at it that I possibly can, mm -hmm. take it as far as I can. And I don't want to look back and not have anything to show for it or be disappointed with my time that I've put in, mm -hmm. um, have something that I can present to other people, which honestly has probably been one of the coolest things that I've had as part of my streaming journey as I released it like a couple months right after I started streaming. So it's 
I had something to share with new people that I met. Hey, I'm a stand-up comedian. Like I actually produced an album myself. Like Uh like, here it is. Go check it out if you want to like get to know me a little bit better. And I've had a lot of the people who are here in chat too. I lost Bob. Hopefully he will. Yeah, here he is. He's back. Oh, shoot. I lost you. <laughs> where, did we, where did we miss out at? You were right at talking about the folks. You've actually got a few people watching. Oh. Some of the folks that you know as streamers. Yeah, like Santa Slays. And then Queen of the Sam is actually Sammy from Kalamazoo, who ran Louise. Sammy McCory, she's awesome. And uh, Sparkly Blondie, another community member hanging out. Thank you, guys. But essentially, like, it was something that I got to show them and be like, hey, this is what I did before I decided to take on the streaming world but this is something that i do mm-hmm. and this is something tangible it's not just a youtube video or anything like that it's mostly i you'll probably if you you probably know what the error is with it that i still have yet to fix but it's it is a uh it's just something tangible and something 80 percent professional yeah that will produce to bring to the world essentially and i wanted to have just that mile marker because you realize that a lot of things in comedy, I feel like a lot of people expect that someone's going to find them or they're going to get discovered or they're just going to put enough work in and someone's going to find them and give them the Netflix special or late night <laughs> or ask them to, to do a comedy album and pay to produce it. And the longer you wait, like the, the yeah. less like, it's going to happen. And eventually right. you, have to, you have to do it for yourself. And that's just ultimately where I was. I, I felt like that was a... It was something that I could do and put out there and be proud of, but also in a way, which I found even because I feel like I was more critical of stand-ups doing stuff that was on their album until I realized, especially if you're getting paid, I was always like, oh, you got to go do new stuff. But it's, hey, we're not all like professional multi-million dollar value comedians that it's their job to sit down and write stuff every day. They're, yeah. like, I've only found, I've only found a fraction of a, of a potential English speaking audience in this world. And I guarantee you less than 1% of 1% of those people have heard what I have to say. So if I go perform in front of a new audience, like it's fine to do those jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like it's not a big deal just because the comedians who are from Kalamazoo or the Midwest or all the people I worked with for all these years have heard these jokes it doesn't mean that there's not a new audience member who hasn't heard them right. like until, until I'm a household name or until I'm like doing more and I want to try and sell this stuff. Like I can do whatever I want with it, which means I've learned that a lot of these jokes I continue to tell even better than I did before. Or they've now I guarantee you that now I can go back to that album and look at it. Cause I do record most of what I perform But now after the pandemic, I feel like I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to have more tags or I'm going to reorder some things. And maybe there'll be new jokes in themselves. Maybe I'll end up deleting this album and releasing another better album. I don't know. But I feel like it's like that marking point on the the journey that is like being a stand-up comedian and having enough material that I do want to move on from it. But just I want to have something to direct people to. It's like. It's also like online content. I haven't sold very many of them and I don't really care. I didn't do it to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really do it to have merch. I did it because I wanted to have something online that people could listen to. And if they stream it on a streaming website, that's just as good 
as doing anywhere else. And if they decide to share it with someone because they find it funny, then that is what it is. And that's amazing, actually. Hmm. But it's like, maybe, maybe I'll try and pitch it to like the internet radio stations when I find time or understand how to do it. But it's it just freed up that creative energy to be able to move on, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Like, it, like I finally started working on it, I think in like March, because I had it recorded in February of 2019, hmm. two months before my daughter was born. And I sat on it for over a year because I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to master. I didn't know how to do any of that. And I didn't mm-hmm. have money to pay somebody to do it. And it would have been really a lot of effort to do that. But through starting my own podcast and learning those skills, basically I've, it's moved along to where I finally had the skills in place to where I could do it. And then I had the time because I wasn't performing. So I just worked on it like over the summer and slowly like one track after another and then set that release date for October of 2020. Mm-hmm. It's funny you talk about doing the same stuff, but I think everybody's first special, whether it's Netflix or self-produced or Amazon or whatever, is the greatest hits of their first 10 yeah. years of comedy. And, right. and, yeah. and it's like music. Everybody's first album is really good, and the second <laughs> album sucks because it's just leftovers <laughs> from the first album. And yeah. I think com- I, I get the same thing from comedy, too, because it, the second album always seems to be all your second best stuff and the the first one is the stuff that you've really worked over for years and years and you may find something that's better than no glitter on christmas for a closer but you've still got no glitter on christmas to throw in there at some point it's great to have it's like having a nice it's like having a nice well-made knife in your pocket when you're camping yeah (laughs) just bust it out when the bears attack yeah. And I got to say, I know people are watching and I know people are commenting. I'm 57 years old in a couple of days and I'm about three feet from my keyboard. If I lean over, I'm going to break something because I'm on a TV tray, so I can't respond to you. But thank you for watching. And I know you're here to see Bob and I appreciate it. But yeah, I as far as the nuts and bolts of putting an album together, I know it's easier than it was like in the 80s right. because you can self-produce things, but there's still a lot of things that go into getting it out there and getting it on the streaming services and getting it available for download and stuff like that. Did you have anybody help you or did you just pretty much do it as a DIY thing? Which in the end, it was me through like the finish line, but moving up into recording it and everything, basically I bought a Zoom recorder, like an H4N, mm-hmm. um, a couple like a couple weeks before I think I remember it was the same night that uh, Stuart Huff was in Kalamazoo for a show. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was like November, December before, maybe a little bit earlier. But I bought the Zoom recorder in order to use it for, I don't even remember. I think I was using it for, I don't even know. I, I wanted to use it because I knew I needed something to do the recording. Because mm-hmm. it was the type of thing where I did get a lot of help from Chuck, who is the general manager of Shakespeare's lower level. He is, he's recorded a lot of albums for like bands and does a lot of other music production stuff. Like mm-hmm. he has a studio there and also Dave Belima, the the sound engineer down there. Both of them helped me with the recording process, but I bought the H4N. Chuck helped me figure it out. And we messed with it with a couple of shows ahead of time before the actual show where we had recorded the, the stand up or the actual album. 
but basically Chuck set it up because I didn't really know what I was doing at the time with it. I needed to figure it out. So he set it up and then David actually hooked it into the soundboard because he was doing sound that night and made sure everything was uh, like the levels were good and everything. Mm. And uh, yeah, basically from there, Charlie had done an original like mix of the two tracks because it comes out in two tracks and he mixed it for me. And then he sent me the, like I had the other tracks as well on my memory card. So we did that and then I had it. And then that's when nothing happened for a long time because he basically put it in logic and he put it together. And I also had all the raw data. So I got a chance to listen to it and I had sent him notes on like how I would want to want it to be edited. Yeah. Uh, but he just never had a chance to do anything extra with it. And I didn't have any money to pay him to do it. It just stagnated. And then September of 2019 is when I actually started my podcast with my buddy Adam and that's when I actually got like the basic starting equipment for what I've been using to stream. Even it's like, I got like my mixer and I got, ended up getting like my microphone and my boom arm and all this stuff. And I used uh, traction to start like figuring out how to edit and everything. Mm-hmm. And over time, that's what grew into me actually wanting to um, do it myself. Like I realized like I, which the thing that amazes me about it now though, is because I was using my little HP laptop, which is it's got a ton of RAM in it, but not much of anything else. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it'll load re- websites really good and make you think it's really fast until you're trying to do anything. <laughs> like, literally, if I was editing a 90-minute podcast with not that much extra production on it, just some cuts and, like, adding in, like, everything else, basically, it would take an hour and a half. It would take a minute per minute, maybe a little bit more, like a minute. <laughs> 30 seconds to render every single minute of an audio recording. So I was like producing that podcast for most of the time with that laptop. And now that I have a nice PC, the funniest thing is that same type of file, like a 90 minute podcast takes 90 seconds to render (laughs) on the PC that I have now. But I, I rendered that entire album and edited it and everything like through all the freezes and the lost data and everything. I almost deleted the whole thing at one point off my computer. (laughs) <laughs> which I still had it on a physical drive because I remember I posted it and I was like, I'm dumb. And then everyone's, oh, you deleted your master. It's no, I didn't delete the master. <laughs> <laughs> but I did delete like some of my edits. But honestly, going through it again, like it, there was a couple of, I, I went through and passes because I remember like hearing somewhere about writing, like you go through and passes, like mm. you, you write like all the way through the story and then you go through it again. But basically I did that is I would go through and listen to it and go through a track and then, do my edits and how I think it should sound and then do the next one and the next one and the next one. I had a flow down for how it would go. I think, I don't really think I changed the order too much, but when I recorded it, I did a, I think I performed for, I want to say there's 90 minutes that I performed for almost maybe an hour and 20. And I edited it down to like about 53 minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Basically it's just over that summer leading up till I think the final edit was done at the end of August last year. And then I just picked my birthday to release it because that would be the time that Facebook would let people see my profile the most. <laughs> Game in the algorithm. <laughs> you got to do what you can. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that's a lot of work and I'm glad you did it. And you mentioned pitching it to some of the like serious and stuff like that. I know that folks that do that, that uh, really creates a nice little second income for them. And 
I know one guy that I interviewed, and his name is uh, escaping me. He got on all three of the main comedy channels on Sirius yeah. because he does clean. Oh, Escape Kia. Yeah. yeah he got on the clean one. He got on the just the all around comedy one and Raw Dog. So, yeah, he and very few comics can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figure I might as well try. I feel like there's definitely material there. Not all the jokes are like perfect, and I don't know necessarily what people would like connect with but i i definitely want to try and maybe pitch that before too long just to see what i can do because there's no hurt in not trying but yeah fun fact though because you mentioned like the no glitter on christmas like that track and sammy mentioned it in the chat no glitter on christmas was actually going to be the original name of the album uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, basically i my buddy who did the art the album artwork why is his name escaping me right now now it's even worse <laughs> <laughs> Brock, Brock Leshman, he's in a bunch of bands and he's also done comedy at Shakespeare's and okay. uh, he performed on like the Dave Stone show with us and a couple others. He did the uh, album artwork, which was absolutely amazing, but he couldn't really find a lot of inspiration from that. And he had started out making that little, like, honestly, I need to have him make me some emotes for Twitch, I think, because it's just <laughs> such cool detail work. But he actually did that burger with the crown from the album art yeah. first and I was like, yeah, let's just run with that. And he decided that like, that just seemed like a better concept for the album, at least. So that's ultimately how that got, that ended up winning over as the name for the album as well. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Now, we haven't even gone over why you started doing comedy in the first place, because I jumped right <laughs> into the album. So well, you've been doing it for about 10 years. So what was it that made you take that leap? I always was, I've always been a fan of stand up and I'm the youngest child, so I like attention. But I have been, I feel like I have been one of those people. Generally, if I'm left to myself, like I, I don't mind just being quiet and like just, I don't know, like playing video games or watching movies, reading books, whatever, learning stuff. But uh-huh. it's like I, when I do get out and around people, like, and I find my end, I definitely, that's when I do become a little bit more extroverted. And I've always enjoyed like telling jokes or making people laugh. So uh-huh. actually, when I worked at, uh, Panera, one of my buddies who worked there with me, he was like the big comedian of the group because me and him would always like joke around like on the line when we're making food and we go back and forth trying to have better puns throughout the work shift and stuff and make each other laugh. But his big claim to fame in the store was that he's done comedy before. Little did I know it was like two or three open mics, but in my mind, he was basically the prior of the store. Like he was the old hat. Yeah. He's like, we got to go do stand up sometime. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Cause that was actually, he had performed at the laughing post, which is what Shakespeare's lower level was before it was bought by the business. Uh-huh. So I remember I always thought, man, that's so cool that he's done that. And he always encouraged me to do it. And then he had a going away party where he was moving to LA. He works in the film industry now. And at his going away party, we did a whole stand-up act. His mom's like a folk singer and she has a venue in their barn. So they had the microphone and the lights and the stage and everything. And we performed a show for his going away party. And after that, I didn't do it for a year until my buddy Perry decided he was getting into comedy. He was like a music person. And like he had known I did comedy before and and we used to do like video stuff all the time uh-huh. he's like hey, come do it and that's when i actually met more of the like the kalamazoo comedians at the time like eric stewart sunny pandit like michael bird jen dama jamie Baron, andrew van houten like all those people who were like the core of our group uh-huh. uh, 
met them, enjoyed hanging out with those people. And they invited me to come to Louis, and it was just all downhill from there. Cause after that, I was doing stand up at least one, once a month, if not more, as like the scene grew, like just getting on stage multiple times. So right. it was just something that I felt like I was relatively decent at and I enjoyed. And it was a artistic expression. So just all of those things drew me to doing more of it and people encouraged me. So I didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What what I get from that I, is what you said right at the beginning, that I'm going to call you what I am, an introverted extrovert. Yeah. You're, you are totally fine with just sitting back and observing people interacting and doing what they want. But when you see yeah. you're in, then you just go nuts. And I, I, I do yeah. the same thing. <laughs> I feel like I, I have that little brother syndrome though too. So it's, if I don't pick my no moments correctly, then I'm also that person who like has to repeat themselves to get their joke across. And then sometimes after the third time you say it, it either hits or people are like, hey, we heard you the first time. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's gotten better with age. But yeah, it's just like once once I get my in or once I... I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I just don't have that skill with people or have that self-confidence sometimes just to go up and engage a conversation necessarily because I think too much about what they're thinking. Mm. But if you do it from a stage though, you know exactly what you're trying to get them to think. Like you're planting the seeds for a one-way conversation and it doesn't have to, there doesn't necessarily have to be a response aside from laughter. So if it goes, then it's not a big deal. But I also feel like that observation, like definitely just that observation, though, is what leads to being able to write jokes. It's like you, you, seeing things differently than how most people see them or take them for face value. And then also communicating that thought through a microphone to someone sitting there observing. Mm. So um, it, it's a lot easier to do that than just to have a personal conversation with someone sometimes. Yeah, like no that. doubt. <laughs> Now, you seem pretty objective about yourself and your comedy. When did you feel like, hey, I'm pretty good at this? Because I know sometimes a light bulb goes off for comics and uh, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I think you probably maybe remember a moment of, hey, this is something I'm pretty good at. Maybe like yesterday. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, let's see. I feel like one of the times... I remember one time, which I kind of realized now, I don't know if it was really, there's been a couple times definitely like throughout my career where there's usually it's after a set that goes really well and like your friends laughing, like even if they might've heard your other jokes, if you bust something out that makes them die with laughter, you just do really well the crowd. Because uh, usually it's more or less like that encouragement or when, even if it's not necessarily encouragement, but someone's like, hey, like this idea you had was good, but think of a, think about it this way or like, here's some ideas, which that's always a double-edged sword because yeah. it's, either, it's either advice that you really want or you really don't want yeah. <laughs> it all depends on the person because a lot of times it'll either be spot on and really speak to you yeah. or it'll be, oh, you didn't understand what that joke was about at all, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you can get up there and you can tell that joke. That's a completely different joke. Like, I think it's good, but it's not my joke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I remember one time Adam Deggy at Louis, after I told, I used to have this terrible Batman joke about, it was like the catchphrase, like he's the hero that this party, it was about Batman at a party. 
and yeah. someone wore a Dark Knight costume and he got upstaged by a, by someone in an old school Adam West costume. All of this is so made up. Also, <laughs> I remember, okay, so this joke that I don't tell anymore, I remember I just came up, came up with it because some kid was just wearing like a Batman mask at a Halloween party and nobody cared. It was like a really, it was like a really cool replica Batman mask, but then he didn't do anything else. So this joke being more honest is probably funnier than what I had come up with. Cause like my whole premise that I had come up with at the time was that he got upstaged by someone in an Adam West costume when really the fact that this guy wore this like super awesome Batman mask, but then was just wearing a sweatshirt and jeans to a Halloween party and no one gave a fuck because he was not trying at all. <laughs> That's a funny <laughs> Like the whole punchline was like, he's the hero that this party deserves or whatever. He's the hero that this party needs. Yeah. Not the, needs or whatever. However that line goes, it's like the play off that line. Like he's the hero this party deserves, but not the one it needs right now type thing. Yeah. And I remember that used to do pretty well. In my mind back then, it used to kill. Now it probably made like three people laugh. <laughs> funny. But yeah, basically, I remember after one time after I did that set, it was like the first time, one of the first times I met Adam Deggy. And he's, we're buddies now, but like he came up to me or he was like, what? He, I don't even think he necessarily came up to me afterwards, but we were like walking past each other and he told me good set. And I, I just remember, oh my God, like he thought my set was good. And I like looked up to him at like, as so far above me at that point, which he's an amazing comedian. Yeah. And he's a good friend of mine now. But it's just, I remember, yeah. And I told him a while ago, I was like, hey man, I still remember that time. And he's just, oh, when I realized he was probably just being nice and might not have really heard much of my set either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, I remember that was like, that was one of those moments when I was like, oh, I just got approval from one of my peers that I look up to. <laughs> That's all, that's always good to get, right? And you don't get it very often. Com- comics aren't uh, real quick to say good job. So. And I'm like, I'm like they don't need to be. And I'm sorry, am I not supposed to swear? I should probably no. Oh, you're you're oh, fine. Yeah. yeah. Like they, that's one thing about Twitch that I absolutely love, dude. It's just like Twitch is not like Twitch is all about dissolving your ego as much as possible. There are tons of egos, but yeah. I feel like the people who are best about it try not to be egotistical about their streams at all necessarily or their content they're they're creating because Uh here everything is just so everything is done there's nothing really super if something is if something's able to be done by everyone it just gets done by everyone it's all memes and emotes and like just online jokes and slang and it's like that's what like really sells here so it's if you can be original and yourself and lean into that but also to make your own spin on it like that is really how you can connect and then also share yourself but it's also all about just for the most part like some of the best communities that i've been a part of it's just about just having a good time and it's mostly it's just love mm. whereas like stand up there's just like that such a level of competition and like just such a level of i don't know like joke stealing or when really you'll hear like open micers sometimes someone has a premise about mcdonald's and then someone else has a premise about mcdonald's and they tell similar jokes because it's all the same experience that we all have and no one's really bringing their own self to it and it's no that person didn't steal that joke like your joke's just like really simple and it's not that it's a bad joke but it's if you can have that same thought without putting more effort into it then it's don't accuse someone of stealing or anything i don't know what my original point is but it's just i feel like I do know my original point. I just feel like I wish there was less of that in the comedy world. Yeah. And like the time that I've spent here, 
I can't wait to like how much I've tried to intermingle my comedy with Twitch. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to turn around in the real world and integrate what I've learned as a content creator and as a streamer back into my standup and right. just bring that same vibe of being supportive and understanding and like just all of that as much as I can. Cause it's not that you necessarily have to like more or less what I've learned is like, you shouldn't be sitting there worried about the same people supporting you or anything. Like you should worry first about entertaining and providing value to your audience Mm -hmm. and the rest will come. So it's just, I don't feel like I wish, uh, yeah, I just wish like stand up would focus on that a little bit more because some of the questions I've asked, even the, Michigan comics group of the last couple of days is just it, it, you get like that mixed answer you realize what people's motivations are and like when really number one like they should just be there to be creative and entertain and if they do well at it the rest will come and really it's a time to build build that up I I saw one of your questions about who's running shows besides the comedy clubs and the thing is that there's a few people running shows and this is all over the country a few people are starting right. to run shows again but uh, a fraction of the amount of shows that were going on before so as a community yeah. if you're able to get together and say hey let's do a bunch of shows and support each other then maybe you can build those up and everybody wins but no that's not really how it goes it's more like uh, this is my show i'm gonna put a little shield around it and i only these people can participate and that's the way it works but yeah i i kind of dig that and i i got to give a shout out my my friend that passed away was part of diy comedy in south bend and i gotta give a shout out to them because they really do it they welcome people from chicago michigan all over the place to come do their shows and they really want to make it a, a place where anybody can come and perform and lift them up so i gotta give them a shout out because my friend brian was a part of that and they always did a good job with it yeah that's cool no that's definitely awesome and yeah it's like that's a whole conversation that can go on forever but yeah it's like uh definitely especially like open mics if it is a true open mic then yeah it, it, there should be opportunities for new people to get up there and try as long as they're not doing anything to um degrade the value that's being created there then there's mm. yeah no reason to open that up to to basically everybody and that's really one of the you started touched on one of the things that a lot of comedians do now so if you're either a part-time comedian or you're like a full-time feature or a full-time host you're really not making enough money to put a roof over your head because it just doesn't pay that much anymore so most comedians that are at that level are trying to find another way to generate income or get them up to the next level so you got youtube you got twitter you got twitch you got all the other things tiktok a lot of people are doing the tiktok but the thing with twitch is i've only just touched on it and i'm part of another channel that I do my talk show on and I haven't really dug in to see what it's all about but I've observed a lot and I watched you not from when you started but fairly early on just because I knew who you were from Facebook and I just followed your post to watch on Twitch and it's definitely what you've done in a fairly short period of time because I think you said you're up to 2,000 subscribers now or followers? Uh, 
1600 on Twitch and my Twitter's at like 2200. Okay, so you're really building that pretty quickly. I, I'm on a channel that's been around for about a year and I think they've got like 700. You've really done that well, but you've built a community around your channel, like on the Discord that you bring other small streamers in and bring them up. So let's talk about Twitch and how you, first of all, what drew you to it? Obviously, you play video games, so that's definitely an in. But what drew you to Twitch and how did you, you know, come up the ranks? Which really, what you mentioned there, right there, is like community is really, it's really number one. And that's what like Twitch taught me a lot about. And like Santa Slays, like one of the people watching right now. What up, Santa and Dinky and JD? Welcome in, you guys. Basically, it's just Santa meeting Santa was like a big change to how I approached everything and learned about the importance of community because I started to have an idea about it from the from pretty close to the beginning. Mm -hmm. When I first started out, like I've wanted to stream on Twitch for a long time. I just really didn't have any of the equipment or really the know-how. Like I had tried because on, on Xbox, you could always stream to Mixer. Yeah. And would go live on there sometimes and just think oh maybe someone will pop in if i do this random thing and i had an idea of like how to create content and things like that but basically i didn't realize that you actually had to go meet people in order to bring them back right away like it took me about <laughs> four, four weeks or so maybe less it was less than that but it's i really solidified it and it's funny because like queen of the sam sammy she, I remember I was like explaining this to her and she's duh, like, I'm not an antisocial idiot, <laughs> but like I started streaming in August and basically I started streaming like very slowly. And then by the second week of August, I was like streaming every single day. And one of the communities that I popped into Chad Shank, who is a friend of Stanhope. When we had Doug Stanhope in Kalamazoo, I actually met Chad Shank. And I remember hearing about him streaming on Twitch from listening to Stan Hope's podcast. Mm -hmm. I always thought that maybe I should jump in and go try and play games with him or something because he was like playing the same games I would play at that time. But I never did. And then right after I started streaming, I had popped into his community and he doesn't necessarily do streaming the same way as a lot of people do. He just has, he already attracts like the fan base that's around that podcast and like Doug Stanhope and like he has his own following. So mm. that's kind of how he cultivates his community where he doesn't necessarily do as much like around Twitch or Discord directly to be able to bring those people in. But that's where I met my friend Mike, the shoot, or like uh, Jack and Dino, Broken Toys, a bunch of those people like Tochikuma and uh, Crawl Space. Like those are some of the first people that would like start. Like I met them through Chad Shank. And I remember I popped in there one day and I was like, hey, Chad, it's Bob from Kalamazoo. And he's, oh, yeah, I remember you. So like that yeah. was, I had that vouch. Like I had that in from him. And then like he was like, good to see you. And I ended up like hanging out with the people from his community that also streamed. And like really, it's just becoming less selfish about it like and actually going like when you have more time it's like now i have content that i have i want to create like i have a schedule so it's just i don't have as much time to necessarily spend with everybody else but it's like going out and not spending all your time streaming like you if you actually spend time creating content and depending on where you're at i feel like when you're very new Matt's here. It's all, what's up, Matt? Matt Harper's in there. Basically, the more time you spend, I feel like early on, like before you really catch on, it's good to be a part of a community first to be able to actually meet some people on the platform because that first month I was streaming, 
I would post on Facebook, I think every single day or every other day, like my personal Facebook and my Twitter, which like my Twitter had 800 followers total over the course of nine years of mm. like my stand up with very little engagement just because I was so inconsistent with it. Yeah. Um, where sometimes I had some posts on there that would pop off a little bit, but nothing crazy. So it's like, really, I didn't have much of an online presence, or at least I thought I did because I would post my jokes on Facebook and on my Twitter and I have a thousand Instagram followers and I have 3000 people on my Facebook. But it's like, when I started going to Twitch, I didn't know anyone there. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any platform and everyone on the other platforms that I actually have reached to like none, not many of them spend time on Twitch. So it's like some of my friends that I played games with would come over there and like some of the people that like maybe one or two, like you're one of the few people from Facebook. I think there's maybe 10 total that I've had from Facebook come hang out ever. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I realized by the end of August, like August 25th is when I created Game Pass Dad. And I created a brand new, I created a brand new Twitter account. And a couple of days later, I was able to change my Twitch name, changed everything in Discord. And that was like when I started actually creating content centered around like Xbox gaming and like gaming specific content and combining like my comedy with that. Mm -hmm. And also a good time just because that led up into the release of the new like gaming consoles there. But it's just the fact is like I was applying my sense of humor to something very focused and it is so easy to write a joke that people enjoy. If you're that laser focused on something, it doesn't have to be super complicated or super unique. You just make a meme or, and that's what TikTok is about. It's all about following a trend and people will engage with it. So it's just like a combination between that to build up the Twitter. And then also just like actually getting out there and meeting people and making sure to interact and engage with a community around the stream. And when I eventually actually created my discord, like that actually gave everyone to, a place to come back to and be able to check in and see like what my schedule was having a set schedule. That's the other very important one on Twitch is mm -hmm. if you can the same time every week, whether it's one time or four times, like as long as you're there, when you say you're going to be there consistently, people will come back if you're putting on uh, a solid show. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of those things. It, it's grown and I've grown in my skills, but it's definitely realizing like it was a scary thing to do to try and create especially when you're like, oh, I've spent 10 years creating this platform of like people that I know or that know me for my comedy. Of course, they'll want to come watch me on Twitch. Like I, I realized that it's, that's not how it works. Like those people know me because they're either comedians or because they enjoy attending comedy shows. And that's the way that they will want to engage with me. So taking that leap to go to the next level and shortly after there is like when I met Santa and he showed me what it was like to actually engage with chat and get to know people. And like, I started enjoying, you want to know what is I became, I learned to become a fan of Twitter. Like I, I, got, I started to get it or mm -hmm. not Twitter, which like I actually, which I mean, even Twitter, I've created a more deeper understanding of it, the platform. And I enjoyed a lot more now than I did then, which one of the biggest things I can say, and I'm working on like a, I'm in the planning stages of a whole YouTube thing about like comedy and how to get into it. But one of the first things that I'm going to say is like being a fan of comedy is going to be one of the best ways to learn how to be a comedian. Right. And I feel like with Twitch, like in learning how to enjoy a stream and be part of a community is the best way to create a stream 
and build your own community. I took, this was when, during the pandemic, when I was working from home and not working very hard at all because I was at my old job. And <laughs> I took a real deep dive into Twitch and started looking yeah. at all the different stuff. And obviously one of the things I like about what you do is you do combine the gaming and the comedy because some people just game and you're, all you hear is, oh, fuck that shit. And, and that's pretty much it. But you do situational stuff. You Like you said, there's a joke right there and you do it because there's a situation for the joke. So you do a meme type thing. Yeah. And that's funny. And people stick around because they want to hear that. I remember my son, I think he, I don't know if he was in college yet or if he was, I think he was in college and he was watching a guy that played uh, online poker on, on Twitch. I don't know if they even allow that anymore but anyway he did that and his comments were what was funny and even when he was losing he was super funny and it was entertaining to watch but i go in and i i, I can't i don't game so i don't really yeah. I, I can't follow just a gamer but some of the talk shows and some of the comedy shows and some of the people that just stand there and talk about their jobs and stuff like that. There's just yeah. so many different things and they get followers. And some of them, I'm like, how do you get a follower? There's, there was one lady I was watching and all she was doing was talking on her phone and scrolling through her phone and then talking in the mic every once in a while and saying, if you don't comment, I'm going to kick you. <laughs> <laughs> but she had 30 or 40 people at two o'clock in the afternoon commenting. And I'm like, wow, I don't know what your, I, I don't know what your draw is. I'm not going to watch you anymore, but somebody likes you, but there's just, yeah. there's a, it's not just gaming anymore and that's cool. But, um, everybody who does it well seems to, like you said, they've got every, everything's kind of the same, but you, they put their own spin on it and have enough of a personality to draw people in. And by interacting, that's how you keep them. That's really what a big portion of it is. So really like Twitch isn't just about like playing games anymore. And that's like a lot of what Santa and I would talk about a lot is just, it's not just about going live and like playing a game and expecting people to show up. Like mm. it's, a, it, it really is like that interpersonal interaction with your entertainment and the fact that you have like actual control like a lot of people like you just hear the person say your name and it pulls you into it because it's in real time and it's highly interactive and engaging and you're not going to find a lot of people unless they're professional unless they're a professional video game player or unless they're famous already for some other reason like you're not going to have a huge following or most likely there are exceptions, but it's odds are if you're going to actually bring people in, like you're going to be engaging the audience and having an interactive stream and the games don't really matter that much anymore, more or less in a way, like the game is just a category for people to be able to find you. Yeah. Um, Cause that's like the only way that Twitch is discoverable, which this, this is getting way out of the comedy world and more into the content creation world. But it's like, really that's the only way that, people can locate you is if you're high enough ranked on a game based on the following that you already have. You can play a game where if you have 10 followers, you might be the fourth option on that page if you're playing Halo or yeah, whatever, like right. less popular game. So people search that out and oh, like they might, if you have a stream that looks well enough produced to be clickable or an interesting title, then people will find you. Hmm. Um, 
but also the networking aspect and everything else. But it's just, that's how they'll find you. But then being the interaction is how you actually get people to stay. Because hmm. really the most of what the game actually matters aside from people wanting to watch that particular game. But there's, if you go to Call of Duty right now, there are thousands of Call of Duty streams. And most, like 99% of those people are watching two or three of the top Call of Duty streamers. So right. you're not going to differentiate yourself by playing that super saturated game. Yeah, no um, doubt. So it is, that is where to differentiate yourself and build that following from that. It is about like that connectivity. And honestly, a lot of my best streams have been like not necessarily traditional games. A lot of what I, what we're having a lot of fun with now is like Stream Raiders, which is like a interactive game that people in the chat can play along with you, hmm. uh, where the community can fight a battle where they're dropping dropping characters onto a map that each have <laughs> they're dropping characters onto a map in which they battle against like characters or uh sammy sweets i eat giant slim jims on screen <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just there is the whole meta like the current thing of the hot tubs or the asmr where that's just uh pretty overtly sexual content that may or may not actually belong on twitch or might need a whole new level itself but basically it's just i don't know like sometimes attractive women like certain people come to the site to see that other people come to watch video games other people come to like meet people and make friends and find a community or find people to play games with there's a lot of different levels to it yeah that, and that worries me a little bit on twitch because i open my twitch and i get the same thing i see on uh instagram and yeah. tiktok and everything else it's always a half naked woman dancing around and a uh, really weird dance and i don't need that i've been with my boo for 38 years now and i don't it, it just that doesn't do anything for me anymore so yeah it doesn't necessarily bother me i feel like that Basically doing those things to get that attention, like they probably deal with things that me as a white male on this platform doesn't have to deal with and like more yeah. power to them for doing whatever they want. It's just the only thing that concerns me about it is it's just how does that look if that becomes like the normal, if that's like what what Twitch is all about? Oh, you're streaming on Twitch? Is that the softcore porn website? I don't yeah. stream on a porn website. I'd go stream on Pornhub, you know, I'd go stream on the biggest website yeah. <laughs> in the world, I stream on Twitch. So I feel like those types of things, there's not really a consistency with how that's dealt with. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting to see. But at the same time, it's it's not anything that affects me directly right now. Yeah, yeah. Until, until that gets completely out of control or anything like that, like there's still an audience or someone like myself. And I feel like I have a lot of value to offer. And I'm I, honestly, I, I'm probably not offering as much value as I can, but I'm constantly focused on that. And I feel right. like it is going to bring a new focus towards my standup when I come back to it. And honestly, it's, I just started working on trying to book things like the last couple of days. And it's just been awesome to come back to and just realize that there's, there is like the goodwill that I've created there and that people are excited for me to get back into it. And they're excited to come perform again. I really feel like just all these things combined, like, when I get a chance, like I need to find out how I can, like I said, bring the Twitch aspect into comedy and like live stream some of these shows or do it behind the scenes or something like that. Yeah. I want to figure out how that's going to work in a way that like stand up comedians are going to want to participate because maybe it's always so weird though. Because what I really would like to do is like when I'm working with those bigger acts, like if they have time and they're not too exhausted or having to do anything, I feel like it would be really cool 
to maybe get them for a half hour or something to come chat with like the people who are watching the stream do just chatting where we can do questions and answers or just mm-hmm. or kind of podcast with them i haven't really decided what that's going to be but i feel like that would be super cool and that would provide a lot of value because like maybe they wouldn't be cool with me live broadcasting their material but if i could just get a, a slice of life of hanging out with them and like they're conver- conversating with them i feel like that could be really bad. like a reason that people would want to be part of my community and right. want to And that gives as good or maybe even better exposure than like being on a podcast, like what I do, because it all depends on the audience. But if they actually get a chance to interact, then that's going to actually make the whoever you bring on, that's going to make them more endearing to them rather than just listening, just a passive thing. So, yeah, I, I can see how that works. And that's actually why I'm doing this on Twitch, because it's it's much better than just me sitting here talking because I don't think I'd draw too many people because I'm old. No, but I don't know. Age isn't anything to do with it, though. And honestly, I'm proud of you for doing it on Twitch and live streaming it because you're already, you might be however old you are, but think of how many comedians are out there right now making a podcast and spending all their time and energy making a podcast that only 10 people listen to Hmm. and then post it to a random website that does nothing to actually make their podcast more discoverable right this is amazing that you do it this way it's like you have people that can find it in real time you're doing it on youtube so people can find it later Mm. if something catches on it's youtube is connected to the largest search engine in the world yeah you find out how to make it searchable or if you do get like a bigger act and people are looking up that person's name there's a chance that if you do the right things with your video that people can find it there's so many reasons why live streaming is where it's at and why you've seen a lot of like live streaming is literally going to be a way for, it's not necessarily going to be primary content. Twitch has it as primary content. And that's all Twitch does. Mm. And that's an issue that is un, unrecognized by them at this point. But basically it's just all websites, all major social media websites are going to have streaming and it's just going to be where you do it but it's also going to be a way to make your content interactive and discoverable. That's, that is the future. So I got to ask, this is changing the subject a little bit, but now you are, you said you're starting to book some dates and stuff like that, but you're also a dad. You're also doing the Twitch thing and you're working on new content. You, you've probably got a day job. You're doing all this stuff now. How are you going to sleep and uh, actually be able to get all this done now? Cause I know when you have a kid, things change. The answer is I don't. Um, (laughs) I'm working on getting more sleep, but I usually stream until about one or two in the morning and then I wake up by six or seven. Wow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I probably should sleep a little bit more, but yeah, it's just, I need to find that balance and I, I constantly know it and it does have its effects on like my personal life and things like that as well. But more or less just when I do, when it does catch up to me, it definitely catches up to me and I, end up sleeping for 10 hours. So Mm. I, I, I think six is probably the most I can get with everything I have going on. (laughs) Mm. Mm. So based on what you've learned over the last 10 years doing comedy and this Twitch thing, if a new comedian came to you and said, what should I do? Say you watched them and they're actually pretty funny. And they say, what should I do next? If they get a good five minutes, what would you say is the 
thing that they, the path that they should follow in order to maybe make this some sort of a money generating thing and a fan generating thing? I would definitely just say make, make online content, like somehow like stream on Twitch, make YouTube videos, do TikToks. That's the way that you honestly, like if they write their first good five minutes, like the next step is to write another good five minutes and make a 10 minute set and write another good five minutes and make a 15 minute set and then find a way to link that all together or write another five minutes that links that together basically. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you you more or less build it five minutes at a time and then you get more stage time to play with. So it's get on stage as much as possible. But I really wish that when I was doing it, that maybe sometimes if, if I didn't have new jokes to tell or anything like that, or I wasn't excited to tell the jokes, maybe I wish I would have taken some of that time to maybe learn a new skill when it came to the production aspect of things or maybe tried to write and stayed home and wrote a new joke or maybe forced myself if I was going to go out and do a show if I'm bored of the material I'm telling, then I might like, it'll probably still bomb. So I might as well work on a joke that maybe scares me a little bit, but it's always the thing I'm really realizing is you got to follow the path of least resistance and you got to try and be a person who has some answers or has the answers or because there's so many people out there that are just like, not going to take the time to figure it out themselves. So if you can, if you don't know it, if you can figure it out, then People will come to you for answers. Yeah. Great. It's been uh, fantastic you have on, having you on the show. And obviously, for the people who are listening to the audio, if you want to follow Bob on Twitch and Twitter, it's Game Pass Dad, all one word. And Twitter is the same way, right? Yep, just Game Pass. Twi- Twitter.com slash, ga- or, yeah, slash Game Pass Dad. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Obviously, if you haven't watched, if you haven't gotten on Twitter and checked it out yet, I recommend it. Even I find stuff that I like, and it's really neat. And the way you do it is obviously something that another comedian would appreciate because it's it's the type of up to the minute jokes and stuff like that right. that, that, that we always of, appreciate somebody that can do that. It's like a radio show mis- mixed with an improv, mixed with a TV show mm-hmm. type of. <laughs> And just always creating like new props to mess with in the different scenes and everything. So, yeah, no doubt. And, and you can find Burger Prince on all the uh, streaming services, and I recommend listening to it. And uh, anything else that uh, you have going on that you want to plug? Right now, just uh, yeah, Burger Prince is on all the major streaming platforms like Spotify, Amazon, and iTunes. Uh, you can find it on YouTube as well. Really, well, I'm always streaming like Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. Definitely a good time to drop by and hang out, chat a little bit if you want. But aside from that, like I've got my Bob Fredericks YouTube channel and my Game Pass Dad YouTube channel. And I have a TikTok now, but like the YouTube and the TikTok are like the new things that I'm trying to wrap my head around. Uh So I'm spending a lot of time doing that. So that's where you might find a lot of like new content or I I need to figure out a release schedule or really get in a, a lane of what I'm doing there. But that's probably where you'll see a lot of stuff up and beyond what I'm doing on Twitch so far. And then there will be comedy shows in Michigan in the near future that I'm working on. I just don't really have anything to announce yet. But in the late summer, early fall here, I'll be producing some shows. 
Yeah, I'm glad I'm moving where I'm moving, but I had, right before the pandemic, I had started going to Michigan to do mics and stuff like that to meet some new people, and I I did uh, Casey's mic there in Kalamazoo. Upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, team upstairs, and I did uh, the contest at Dr. Grin's, and I did, the, oh, what's his name, the, the one with the big smiley face and the mic. Yes, yeah, so I did that one, and just really nice. Uh, Adam Daigie was there, and it was really nice just meeting new people doing that but now i don't think i'm going to drive six or seven hours well actually it would be closer to 10 or 12 hours because i'm about nine hours away from home but yeah, yeah but yeah it's, you guys got a pretty cool scene going on up there and i appreciate you being on the show it's been fun yeah thanks for asking me to do it i i really appreciate it